Welcome to another episode of Mini Fellowship in Movement Disorders, where we take most challenging concepts in movement disorders and simplify them into easy-to-follow explanations. I'm your host, Danish Bahati, a movement disorder neurologist who loves to teach physicians online, especially in the developing countries. We're continuing our series of episodes addressing the questions raised by our residents in the Movement Disorder course in the second week, second module on Parkinson's disease, pathophysiology and diagnosis. So the question raised by Dr. Ismail Fahad is, I'm not clear about the use cases for DAT scan in Parkinson's disease. So DAT scan or DAT scan stands for dopamine transporter scan. And what the scan does is that it gives a radioactive ligand that preferentially binds to the D2 receptors in the brain. D2 receptors are presynaptic receptors. So the nerve endings that are releasing dopamine have these D2 receptors also on them. Dopamine is released. It goes out across the synaptic cleft and binds to the target dendrite of you know, neuron. And then after a certain time period, the dopamine is released. And now the dopamine can be either destroyed, and it can be destroyed by other cells close by or within enzyme in the interstitium or synaptic cleft. But some of this dopamine is actually actively recycled by the nerve ending that is releasing it. And the way it does it, that it reuptakes the dopamine through the D2 receptors, which are presynaptic receptors. So that's the main role of D2 receptors. But the D2 receptor then also becomes a marker or measure of nerve endings that can release dopamine. So they are co-located with dopamine releasing nerve endings. So what this radioactive ligand does is that it binds to that D2 receptor and, and then it releases radioactivity that you can pick up. And if there is an area that has a lot of those D2 receptor, then it will give a lot of dense signal coming out. You capture that signal through using X-ray fluoroscopic technique, and then you draw a 3D map through computer recalculation of where these dopamine signals are coming from inside the brain. And you, you get these hot, dense areas with the D2 receptor density being really high in striatum. So that's the putamen and head of caudate that together form the striate nucleus or striatum. And that's where most of the nerve endings of the dopamine neurons are. The head of dopamine neuron is a substantia nigra, pars compacta, but the they travel all the way up to release dopamine in the striatum. So you get a comma shape with a head of the caudate and then the long body and tail of the putamen forming the tail of the comma and body of the comma and as a signal when these dopamine is released. Now, if you have loss of dopamine neurons, then there is less D2 receptors and less density and there is a loss of signal. And loss of signal often starts from the tail. So the tail is lost first and usually body second and, and the head become is, is lost the last and usually the tail starts eroding off that comma and the head becomes less and less dense. There is often asymmetric signal change. So one side is weaker signal or less signal than the other side, which often matches or usually matches the abnormal or in, increased uh, symptomatic side of Parkinson's patient. So if it's the right side that's worse, then the left side of the brain shows less signal. 
Now, use cases of this dopamine scan, of course, will be when you are not clear about the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. However, the reason it is not as straightforward as this is because the, there are cases when the DAT scan may be abnormal, but a patient does not have Parkinson's disease. Now, we have followed in some of those patients in some studies where you did DAT scan on them because they had a high risk of giving Parkinson's because somebody in the family had Parkinson's or they have loss of sense of smell. So there was a reason to do DAT scan on them, right? So there is no general population DAT scan study to see how many normal people have DAT scan deficit at a large scale. But these family studies have been done looking at high risk population to see if they have DAT scan deficit without any clinical signs of Parkinson's disease and then they were followed, and in you know a couple of those studies, the conversion to clinically diagnosable Parkinson's disease in two years was about 20 to 30%, 25% on average. So even after two years of following someone with abnormal DAT scan, with loss of sense of smell, with first-degree relative with Parkinson's disease, three out of four people are not showing clinical Parkinson's disease. Now, that is challenging to say, are they ever going to get Parkinson's disease? Are they for sure going to get Parkinson's disease? When will they get Parkinson's disease clinically? Do they already have Parkinson's in their brain? And it's just a ticking time bomb that sooner or later they will show symptoms. That creates a lot of challenges and unknown questions and not sure what to do with those patients. A lot of anxiety for those people. That's why we don't do DAT scans in everyone suspected of Parkinson's disease because you will get with these all of a lot of unclear people. Remember, the, the test predictiveness or likelihood ratios of positive predictive value or negative predictive value of a test strongly depends on pre-test probability. So, you know, we know the numbers for sensitivity or in specificity for some small scale autopsy based studies which seems to be it's close to 95% or more. So at least one study that I reviewed, they had 20 patients' brain they looked at who had normal and abnormal DAT scan, and they found that whenever the DAT scan was normal, 19 of those 20 cases were fine, and only one had abnormal DAT scan, had an abnormal brain, and vice versa. I hope I'm clear enough. Let me repeat that. So if you looked at 20 patients with abnormal DAT scan and 19 of them had Parkinson's in their brain and one did not, and if you looked at 20 patients with Parkinson's disease in their brain, 19 of them had abnormal DAT scan and one did not. So this is a sensitivity and specificity about 95% for DAT scan on this small study, but this is a very high pretest probability population. But if you start doing it on everybody who walks in with the concerns for Parkinson's disease, even with 95% sensitivity and specificity, the positive likelihood ratio, negative likelihood ratios goes way down. And you, I would encourage you to look at some YouTube videos discussing this very topic to get a clear sense of why even with a 95% sensitivity and specificity, this test cannot be generalized to everyone and still has to be done on those with high pretest probability of being positive. So when do we use it if we cannot use it on everyone and uh, to diagnose Parkinson? We use it in, in, question, in questionable cases where, for example, we're trying to debate between drug-induced Parkinsonism and idiopathic Parkinson's disease, where we're trying to distinguish between dystonia with Parkinsonism versus Parkinson's disease with dystonia. We're trying to distinguish between Alzheimer's dementia versus Lewy body dementia. We're trying to distinguish between 
atypical Parkinsonism versus psychogenic or functional movement disorder and so on and so forth. So very complicated cases. Actually, we are doing a, a study at University of Nebraska Medical Center. Dr. Sarah Doss, our fellow, is leading that project with some of your resident colleagues working with her on looking at, I believe, 160 plus DAT scans that we did in the last five years to look at what were the reasons for doing those DAT scans, how many of them ended up being congruent with the preclinical pre-DAT scan diagnosis or not, how many of them led to changes in treatment and therapy. And I think the abstract for that study have been accepted at the American Academy of Neurology annual meeting and will be posted online at their platform. To learn more about the mini fellowship, visit our website for University of Nebraska Medical Center, Department of Neurological Sciences, where you can be part of the community and ask us questions. You can write to me on mdclinicforyou at gmail.com. It's mdclinic number four u at gmail.com. And follow me on YouTube for longer discussions by searching for Danish Bahati, D-A-N-I-S-H space B-H-A-T-T-I. You can also find me on Twitter at Danish Bahati underscore MD and on LinkedIn.